I had heard all these speeches go before me and and people, everybody said, assalamu alaikum. And the audience just listened. And when I got up and said, assalamu alaikum, everybody answered, alaikum assalam. The whole auditorium in unison. And it was just the most peaceful and amazing experience. I just felt, you know, everything drained from me, fear, um, everything. Not that it was a religious or a spiritual experience, but it was a community experience. Hmm. You know, that they felt that they, I'm the only non-Muslim in the room, and they felt that they needed to give me that support and that, that welcome and that inclusion. Hello, welcome to The Vibrant Introvert, the show about real people experiencing social anxiety and introversion, their stories of transformation and change and how they thrive in their daily lives, all told through the lens of acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT. I'm Gabby Lanier, I'm your host, I'm a board certified behavior analyst and a social anxiety life coach. So today we're going to talk about public speaking. And depending on kind of who you are and your own learning history, public speaking might be something that you maybe enjoy doing, that you look forward to doing, that you you seek out opportunities for doing. And there may be some of you listening who, let's say that you're more on the introverted side and you, you don't enjoy the, the spotlight being on you. And so social, social anxiety or public speaking anxiety might be an experience that you have when you show up to say something and you are given a microphone. That's how it is for me. And it kind of always has been. And I also recognize when I step back and kind of look at all of the various experiences around public speaking, I, I've had this kind of ebb and flow of public speaking anxiety. Sometimes it's, it's, it's very difficult and other times it's, it's not so much. And it also depends on the type of experience that I'm really looking at here. Over time though, I've noticed that I've, I've gotten better at it, that I've, I've changed my relationship with it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to know what does it take to, to show up, to speak up, and to tell people about what we care about through this experience of public speaking. And I want to know what kind of psychological flexibility, and that term is really coming from this ACT framework, what kind of skills do we need to do that work of showing up and speaking up when it matters? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our storyteller, her name is Debbie Jacob. And I actually found her on a Google search. I randomly came across an article that she wrote about her own public speaking experience. And I am so excited to share this story. She is going to tell you about how she had to show up and how she transformed her relationship with the idea of speaking out and and talking about things through a public speaking experience. And what I want you to listen for is how she engages in some of these skills of psychological flexibility, one of them being this idea of valuing, understanding why she's showing up in the first place, her ability to engage in this form of willingness, willingness to 
be uncomfortable. And I also want you to, to pay attention to the opposite of that. Her, what we call experiential avoidance, her kind of extreme examples of experiential avoidance, which is very relatable. I've, I've experienced many of the things she's about to share with you. And then how that kind of shifted and how she was able to shift her stance toward a stance of willingness. And then finally, how she was able to engage in a little bit of perspective taking in the sense of her connecting to her audience. So we're going to learn all of those ways in which she was able to transform her relationship with public speaking. I'm so excited for you to hear her story, and I am really interested to know what your takeaways are. So let's go ahead and listen to the story of Debbie Jacob. Hello. Hi. It's so nice to see you. This is so scary. (laughs) That's a perfect way to start this conversation. So I wanted to see, would you mind if we just kind of launched into our conversation? Just went for it. Whatever you want. Okay, let's do it. So welcome, Debbie. I'm so excited to have you here for the Vibrant Introvert podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day uh, to talk to me and to tell your story. I would love for you to take a moment before you actually tell your story to just tell folks who you are and what you do. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for having me. My name is Debbie Jacob. I'm from Ohio originally. I grew up on a dairy farm in Ohio, a very remote dairy farm where I never had to speak to people. Um, I went to Ohio State University and ended up in California and then working in Seattle and Boeing. Oh, okay. I came to Trinidad because I read a book called Miguel Street by B.S. Naipaul, a Trinidadian writer who won the Nobel Prize for Literature. I had a lot of friends that lived up in Seattle who were from Trinidad. And I came down here to see if there really was a place like Miguel Street. And there was with all these wonderful characters. So I ended up staying here. and I've been here now 38 years. So I've been here more than half my life. Wow. Oh, my goodness. What a story. And I feel like that in and of itself, you deciding to live there and you assimilating to that new culture, that new country. That's that's a story in and of itself. (laughs) Yes, it's a wonderful place. And I, I actually found you on on Newsday which is oh, yes. an on is that an online publication for Trinidad and Tobago? Well, um, we have three main daily newspapers. I work for all three of them. I work for Trinidad Newsday now, and they do have all the newspapers have print copies and they have online copies also. Yes. My husband had given me this advice, you know, he said, if you want to interview other people, you know, who are interested in the same topics you are, who maybe self-identify as introverts, go on Google alerts and start getting daily articles from just all over the world, all over the internet, Mm. really. And so I I randomly came across your article and um, it really, it really struck a chord with me because, um, you know, you told your story about finding your voice. That was the title of the article. Um, and so I, I can't wait for you to share your story. You know, I know that when I first asked you, tell me a little bit more about being an introvert, you very, very much identified being an introvert. And, mm-hmm. and you said that you read that book, Quiet by Susan Cain. Um, so do you want to start with that, um, 
Debbie, do you want to, do you want to just kind of describe a little bit about how you are an introvert, how you describe yourself as an introvert? Well, I don't know how anybody else feels, but I mean, I, I never really thought of myself in the category as an introvert. I, I felt it. I felt I was an, an outgoing person. Um, I never thought of myself as a category like introvert or extrovert. I think it was about five years ago that I read Quiet. Um, I would have been about 63 years old. And I thought, why didn't I have this book when I was a teenager? It, it just explains so much about me. So many things that I thought were terribly wrong with me. I thought, you know, there's something wrong with somebody who doesn't enjoy going to a party, who would rather sit at home on a Friday night and read a book and be by herself, or maybe be with one person and have a conversation. But I never did well in big social situations like parties. I just couldn't wait to get away. I couldn't wait to get home. And I was thrown into a lot of social circumstances and a lot of circumstances where there would be a lot of people around through the work that I started to do in prisons. And it wasn't intended, you know, prisons, although it's an awful place to be. I started teaching at YTC, the youth training center, which is the place where they keep teenagers. And I had a class, an English class with boys who were incarcerated for a violent armed robbery and murder. Hmm. And every Saturday and Sunday night, I was perfectly happy just to be locked away in prison with them, away from everybody, just us in the class. And then I decided to write a book because I thought their stories were so amazing and people need to know hmm. something about these boys and their backgrounds and juvenile delinquency. And they wanted to do it. I gave them, I had been with them about four years teaching various classes and they wanted to do it. They wanted to give something back to society. So I wrote this book and the book took off. It did very well. And I started to get all this funding for projects in prison. So much so that I had to start an NGO, the Wishing for Wings Foundation. Uh -huh. um, you know, and I started debate teams so the prison debate teams could come out and debate, debate in public here and people could hear them and their views. Every time I had to go to a debate, I thought I could just call in and say I'm sick. I can just skip it. It just never gets easier. And then they make me do a speech at every one of these things because the debates are a joint project from the Wishing for Wings Foundation and the Trinidad and Tobago prisons. And I, I, I've learned to be able to speak if I have to, mm -hmm. but it never gets comfortable. It never gets, it's never something I really enjoy or I look forward to. It's something I fantasize before all the time, you know, that I could come up with some excuse I actually used to get very, very sick before I had to, to be in public and speak at all. Um, I mean, I remember the first time that I really made it through a speech because I used to just tell people, people would call me up because of my background in journalism. This is before I was working in prison. So this is like 
gosh, 20 years ago. And they used to call me up and they used to ask me, you know, to come and give commencement exercises or something. And I used to say, no, I can't do it. I, I get such a migraine, that a debilitating migraine. I will be in bed so sick, I won't be able to come. Wow. And that's how I was like, um, so I can always remember that. I, I you know, I, I just, like I said, I grew up on a remote dairy farm and there was some rule or law at the time that you couldn't start school until you were six and you had to be six by September 15th. And my birthday was September 27th. So I was almost seven years old before I went to school and interacted with other children. Well, as, as you can imagine by then, it was way too late to find any kind of social equilibrium. <laughs> so I, I, you know, that I didn't understand what friends were. I didn't participate in social things. Yeah. And I, I'm interested to know, you know, um, as like an entry point into this story that you're, that you're going to share, um, you, you said uh, for the title of your article, you know, finding your voice. And so you've always had something to say. It's just that, you know, the platform or the medium in which you're kind of saying that message um, for you, it's specific in how you want to get that message across. You know, you, you're a writer, but actually speaking, especially in front of a crowd is not so easy for you, is not enjoyable, um, <laughs> produces very uncomfortable kind of physical symptoms in you. And so um, when I read this article, you had said that you had this really specific experience around giving a speech at a commencement, a commencement speech. So do you want to tell us how that came about and then what happened? Yes, I, I will never forget that. Um, like I was saying, people were calling me all the time, particularly to give commencement speeches because I did a lot of education articles because I was an educator, I was an English teacher, I was a librarian and I would say no and people would say, okay. Well, one day, Cindy Khan, who was the vice principal of Astra Girls, um, in San Fernando, which is in Southern Trinidad. Mm -hmm. She called me, Astra Girls is a um, denominational Muslim school. So it's partly government funded, partly Muslim funded. Um, she called me and she asked me to give this commencement speech. And I gave her my usual spiel about why I can't do this. And she just insisted, oh no, you can do this. And you're going to do it. And you're going to do it. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I don't think so. And she kept calling. And I told my assistant, who is a, like, you know, an extrovert off the charts. I told her, you know, this, this, this lady won't take no for an answer. And she said, I think you should do it. And I just kept going to people, hoping that somebody would tell me, would tell me no, you don't have to do this. Oh, interesting. Like I was working on a history of um, crime in Trinidad from the perspective of the police dogs. That was one of my projects outside of work I was doing. Again, I could sit in an office all by myself and look at police files that the dogs have from back in 1952. And those things are comfortable for me. 
just to be alone in, the, in a prison cell, you know, teaching or alone in a canine office someplace looking at old files. And so the sergeant who used to help me with this project, he used to take all these dusty files that hadn't been dusted since 1952. He used to take them out and dust them for me. And I told him, I said, I can't do this. He said, oh yes, you can. I said, well, I can't even go to San Fernando because I get hopelessly lost. Besides not being able to speak, I can't go down south. He said, no, I'm gonna take you. I thought, gosh, nobody's gonna let me out of this. On top of that, I had a knee injury and I was on a walker, so I couldn't walk. And the day that I had to go down for this speech, oh, what, you know, what was nice also before this is my assistant used to take me to the empty, um, oh gosh, what, what is the word for it? You know, the place, the auditorium, the empty auditorium. And she put um, a podium there and she made me practice the speech practice wow. giving the speech to her uh -huh. and he showed up this is um sergeant larry millet he's he showed up to take me because i thought for sure that of course you know people promise everything and sergeant millet's not gonna show up so i'm gonna get out of this <laughs> no sergeant millet showed up before sergeant millet showed up i was so nervous i decided i'm gonna move my car out of my driveway into the road back into my driveway why I have to move my car, I don't know. I was not, I'm not going anyplace. I'm not driving. I ran over my walker and it was hopelessly stuck under the car. And he had to get it out from under the car when he came. It was a mangled mess and I couldn't use it. So on top of figuring out how I'm going to talk, I also had to figure out how I'm going to walk. So Sergeant Miller takes me down there. And there are about 10 speeches in front of me. And they, they kept me busy so I wouldn't be worried. And they kept talking to me and talking to me. And just before I was supposed to go on, Cindy Khan said to me, would you mind saying assalamu alaikum before you, you start your, your speech? Um, which is a, you know, a, a Muslim greeting, like basically, you know, um, may God be with you, something like that. And I said, no, that's okay. Well, I had heard all these speeches go before me and, and people, everybody said, assalamu alaikum. And the audience just listened. And when I got up and said, assalamu alaikum, everybody answered, alaikum assalam. The whole auditorium in unison. And it was just the most peaceful and amazing experience. I just felt you know, everything drained from me, fear, um, everything. And I never felt that, I never really felt afraid of giving a speech again, but that doesn't mean I enjoyed it. I never <laughs> enjoyed it either. I just, you know, I don't have a deep seated fear anymore, but giving a speech would not be at the top of my want to do list for the day. I'd rather still rather sit in the corner and write something. But I think the, you know, the interesting thing about that for me was that um, not that it was a religious or a spiritual experience, but it was a community experience. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, that they felt that they, I'm the only non-Muslim in the room and they felt that they needed to give me that support and that, that welcome and that inclusion. Um, and that meant so much to me. And it made me realize that I can get through a speech. And then from, from reading quiet also, I realized that you can, you know, even if you're the deepest, darkest introvert as I am, you, you can get to a point where you can, you can speak more. I think having the understanding that you can do it if you have to, and if you practice doing it, you know, I, I will keep saying over and over, I wouldn't say it gets more enjoyable, but it gets more automatic. And there is a joy, I would say, that comes out of it eventually in terms of um, just knowing that you can get through it. Coming from that to, you know, coming from where somebody asking you to do it is going to give you an instant migraine and you're going to be in bed for a week, to that is a big, big step. I just want to bring that phrase back one more time. Assalamu alaikum. I looked it up as you were talking. Um, it means peace be unto you. Peace, peace be upon you. Mm -hmm. And and you said that when, when they all said that back to you, what did it feel like when they said that to you? You said that something melted away. I, I can honestly tell you, I still feel that feeling whenever I think about it. It was like every fear, every bit of tension, everything, it just like everything dropped through my whole body to the floor. Mm. It was just an amazing experience of, um, and we hear it all the time. I mean, you hear it in greeting, just like you will you will greet anybody and say hello, and they'll say hello back or anything or something, you know, you will hear Muslims use it with each other all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just, I just felt everything drain from me. And it wasn't, um, I didn't feel scared for the rest of the speech. And they laughed, you know, when they were supposed to laugh and they uh, listened. It was, um, it was really, really an amazing experience. And you think, you know, how many experiences like this do introverts miss out on? Because of that fear and because of yes. that, you know, you're anticipating how you will feel, which yes. anticipation can amplify it. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the big questions I ask is, you know, it's okay to feel free fear. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. That's, that's totally valid. Is it stopping us from doing the things that we care about? That's the most important thing. And it sounds like for you, you know, in that moment where they, um, where they said that back to you, that there was this moment of you letting go and also of them, um, there was like this connection there between you and the audience. Like they were accepting you fully just as you were. Yes, that's, that is exactly how I felt. Politically speaking, people try to drive a wedge between different religions and different ethnicities and different races in Trinidad. They do it more subtly than you would see in the States. Mm -hmm. And yet um, I would say the general population doesn't have that kind of prejudice for the most part. I mean, you know, you will see 
people from different religions celebrating other people's religions. And I am sure, well, I mean, just from the way I was dressed, everybody realized I was not a Muslim there. And yet, you know, this felt like such a, a magnanimous gesture of inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, because really, on top of everything else, just knowing that I am culturally out of my league here could have, <laughs> could have given me a lot more stress. Yes. So, and then, I mean, I wrote a speech also based on an essay that um, David McCullough had written on Harriet Beecher Stowe because I wanted to make a point how you can learn from, I, I chose her because she was as different, her, her world was as different from these students as could possibly be. And I wanted to make this point how we can all learn something from people who are so different from us. So I find the speech was taking a big risk too, you know? Um, and it went over, it went over very well. There's a lot of things that we don't know. It's nice to write. It's nice to sit in a corner and write. And you will hear people react to what you write sometimes. A lot of times I get a lot of feedback and get letters or whatever. Um, but to see and feel that in person is something I think as introverts that we deprive ourselves from because it's so painful and so difficult. So I want to pause for a moment. I really, really love what Debbie is saying here about her experience as an introvert showing up to do a public speaking opportunity. Like you had heard, you know, she has this background around being a shy person, a person who keeps to herself, who feels more comfortable being alone and writing and thinking and processing rather than showing up and, and standing up on a platform telling people what she thinks. This kind of affinity for thinking inward, processing inward, is really a characteristic of someone who is introverted. Um, she also talks about her extreme difficulties with this kind of idea of public speaking and how uncomfortable she felt, you know, her physical symptoms, her feeling sick, her kind of racing mind, trying to come up with all of the ways in which she could avoid or escape these experiences, which she know in the past had made her so uncomfortable. And it even got to the point where maybe subconsciously she said, I'm going to, I'm going to drive over my walker so that I can prevent myself from showing up to this public speaking engagement. And everyone along the way kind of was aware of some of the struggles that she was facing. And it was so important to them that she show up and, and send this message to these girls that everyone else showed up for her so that she could then show up for these girls. And when I kind of sat back and listened to Debbie's story, something that really, really kind of came out of this reflection was how her complete unwillingness to do this speech was was really apparent and kind of showed up for her in the most kind of extreme ways up until the very moment in which she was about to give her speech and all of the people in the audience gave her that response assalamu alaikum 
And that was the pivot point for her. That was the moment where she shifted from this complete stance of unwillingness to the stance of willingness. And I want to kind of dig into how this happens. And so to do that work, just in like a little sprinkle of, you know, of work, (laughs) Um, by the way, I'm not scripting any of this. I'm just kind of talking into a microphone and this is my own willingness. I've, I've mentioned this several times of me just showing up and saying stuff and not over preparing, but I would love to invite you to try this kind of multi-step process together with me. And what I'm going to ask you to do first is to think for your own self, like what is something that you really care about, you know, public speaking wise, whether that is, you know, maybe making a speech, showing up on social media, maybe it's, it's speaking up in your personal life um, to someone in a way that really matters to you. So think about like, where are you kind of feeling stuck right now? What makes you feel nervous to speak up? And it, even if you need to like take a moment and pause this podcast, just to see if you can come up with a, with an example. And then what I want to do is with that experience in mind, I want you to be willing for a moment to hold your breath. And we're going to do this for 30 seconds. Okay. So try this out with me. We're going to be willing to be out of breath for 30 seconds. You ready? Set, go. That was about 30 seconds or so. Now, you may have felt uncomfortable when you were holding your breath, right? You may not have really wanted to do it. And maybe there wasn't a good reason to hold your breath, honestly. But what if I told you that holding your breath in this way was somehow connected to this thing that you really, really care about, this this idea of speaking up somewhere, And I want to know if you were to just kind of magically have this value of speaking up show up to you with, with you in this moment, but you had to also hold your breath at the same time, would you be willing to do those, have those two things happen simultaneously? Would it be worth it to you? And if the answer is no, maybe because it's not the right moment for you, or maybe maybe the value behind that experience isn't matching the effort it's taking to be willing to experience that discomfort, which is totally fine, right? But maybe you are willing to hold your breath. Maybe you are willing to feel discomfort, you know, and this idea of holding your breath, it's, it's, um, I'm doing this because it may be somewhat similar to the sensations you might feel if you were to, get up the courage to, to, to speak up in some way. Maybe you have the same feelings of breathlessness or, um, a heartbeat that feels unsteady. This urge to, to need to catch your breath before you speak your next words. And I just wonder if, you know, can you take a moment? Can you be willing to take a moment to, 
to do catch your breath before you speak that next word or that say that next thing that you need to say. And then here's the next step beyond this kind of willingness piece is I wonder if you can connect to the people in this world who are possibly struggling with the exact same thing you are struggling with. Maybe they feel pain and discomfort around this same area of their life. Maybe they feel the same sensations of unwillingness that you feel. And maybe they've done the same exact things to try and fix it or make it go away. If that's the case, maybe there's hundreds or thousands or even maybe millions of people out there struggling with the same thing. Knowing their struggle, what would you want to tell them? Maybe you'd want to tell them something like, you're going to be okay. Or, I want to hear what you have to say. Or maybe something just as simple as, you struggle with this? Me too. Whatever it is, you doing that work, just of shifting your perspective there, allows you to then see your own struggle in a new way. And maybe, just maybe, it can transform your relationship with that struggle just enough to allow you to be willing and able to do the thing that you care about. All right, so now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Debbie's story and I want you to hear this amazing transformation that she has gone through, not necessarily in making all of her fear and anxiety go away when she's showing up to do public speaking, but the way in which she sees public speaking and the value behind it. Because Debbie, oh man, she has a lot of things that she is passionate about. She knows her limits. (laughs) And yet she still finds ways to show up and speak up on her own terms. So let's see how she does that work. But it can get better with practice. It can get better. It can get tolerable. And you can find joy not in, you know, the speech giving itself, but in the knowledge that you can get through it and that you did get through it. And, you you know, you didn't faint on the stage or... Yeah. And that you're kind of, that you're able to use that, that powerful voice you have in writing and you can, you can leverage it in other ways to get people to understand and connect with those ideas that you have. Yes. I find it really interesting too, that you're talking about this speech in particular, that you're um, able to get them to see those connections, even though culturally you're so different. Um, And that medium to get them to see that was through this speech, you know, and you're able to connect with them. Um, Do you feel like that's kind of a parallel to the work that you're doing within the prisons? Yes, I'm, I'm fascinated on, you know, maybe near, nearly obsessed with borders and crossing borders. I think partly because I'm from a family of three generations of immigrants. Mm -hmm. My mother and her family were from Romania and they fled they got caught once and my grandmother went to prison 
Um, they ended up as displaced immigrants. They lived through World War II in Nazi Germany as displaced immigrants. And then my grandmother had been born in the States, but her mother went back to Romania when, shortly after she was born. So she had US citizenship. So that's how they came to the States. But um, you know, I was very much always aware of being different from everyone and kind of like you know, on the other side of a, a cultural border from everybody. So, and then, you know, crossing the border from, from the free world, as inmates call the place that we live, and going into prison, that's, that's a big border crossing. The, the biggest thing, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that people take away from reading Wishing for Wings, the story of it's really the story of our academic journey and these boys fight to find an English teacher, their struggle to find an English teacher. And people will say a lot of things about the book, but there's one thing everybody says, and that is, but they're also different. It's like everybody felt that, okay, they're juvenile delinquents, so there's, they all looked and acted one way. And they were shocked to find that they had different personalities, different backgrounds. Um, a lot of their backgrounds had similarities, but it's very, very different. And then, you know, you, you can cross these borders sometimes. And, and I mean, like I was saying before, also, I chose borders to cross that were safe in a way for me. Meaning, you know, I'm locked in a prison cell or I'm locked in a, a police office, isolated from everybody. And then that work takes on a life of its own and crosses this border itself or pulls you across a border and people want to know about it or um, it leads to different things. Like I said, like the debates, I, I start to feel like, okay, I want people to understand how these people end up in prison, how they feel, how they think about issues that are defining us out there, like marijuana, legalizing marijuana. And then those things require you to cross a comfort zone, to cross a, um, an emotional border that um, is terribly uncomfortable for, for introverts. I the, the biggest thing I think I took away from quiet is, you know, when I say how I wished I would have had that book when I was 19 years old, if I did go to a party, like I said, I would be in bed for days afterwards, physically, physically drained. And I remember, you know, Susan Cain talking in that book about how an extrovert will find energy in a party. But the emotional stimulation that an introvert gets bombarded with in a party will drain them. Uh -huh. And you know, I was thinking like, I'm, I'm, am I depressed? But I don't feel depressed. I just feel tired, but is tired, does that mean I'm depressed? And it's just that, you know, that's the way your brain works. It's too much. It's just too much to take in. It's just too much to assimilate inside of your brain. Yeah. I had a similar takeaway from it too. Um, this idea of being overstimulated and highly mm -hmm. sensitive has been true for me since I was very young. 
And I've gotten used to navigating some of that. Like I have these kind of um, tools and habits that I use that kind of put me in a place where I can be successful and not kind of overextending myself. Um, and that gave me permission to just tell myself like, that's okay that you do that. That's actually great. That's very compassionate of yourself that you actually know that. And you do that for yourself because you need it. Yeah. I think that's a big realization that people have to come to, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It doesn't make you less of a person or less valuable because you don't enjoy a party and it actually debilitates you. It just, it's just the way your brain works. And to understand that. So now if I have to go, I will go, but I probably won't stay as long because I will, you know, try to take better care of myself or do whatever it is I have to do to, to fulfill whatever obligation it is, but not drain myself also yeah absolutely and i think finding finding reasons why you're showing up in the first place you know for you you might think that you have to go there's some sort of obligation there but there's a deeper reason underneath it you know there's a value there that you're connecting mm -hmm. with and then you make the effort you do the thing that's hard and and that's good for like that's good for our personal growth right like it's good to push yes. ourselves but in ways yes. that that enrich our lives, not in ways that drain us right. you know, over the long term. I really appreciated you telling this story. I, I wonder, um, Debbie, is there anything that you, that additional that you wanted to share before we say goodbye? I just hope that anybody who feels that they are an introvert, I hope they read a book like Quiet because the amount of information that you will get about yourself that you probably don't realize is really important. Mm -hmm. But I also just hope that people feel more comfortable in themselves and who they are and how their, their mind and their brain operates. And also, uh, you know, comfort yourself. Rejoice in what you accomplish when you have to challenge yourself and understand what's too much. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important too. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, when you're done kind of pushing yourself, Debbie, like what are things that you really deeply enjoy doing that kind of make your heart feel full? Well, I can sit in the corner and write and write my books or read a book that I'm pretty about, I would say about 90% of the time, I'm really good with that. We've had severe lockdowns in this pandemic and the canine police have always made it possible for me to come and see the puppies they're raising puppies now which is out in a remote place in the forest so i enjoy that that's my one getaway for the last two years except to go to the grocery store and um or a year and a half except to go to the grocery store and the pharmacy that's that's my one outing and that's that's enough for me mm -hmm. And I know last time we talked, you said the pandemic has been good for you in, in a way, because it's kind of, it's more aligned with how you want to live your life, what feels good for you. Yeah, nobody's forcing me to go uh, <laughs> anywhere these days. I have to do a lot of Zoom things, but I'm not forced to go anywhere. And I feel like I get so much more done. And there's a lot of people I know who are introverts who are talking about that. They're, except that you have to worry about your life because of the pandemic. Otherwise, they're happier with 
the way that we're operating now from home. And so it's going to be interesting when things open up in big ways, again, how we're going to reintegrate introverts into society. Hmm. I agree with you. And I, I know for myself, you know, I'm like, I've mentioned, I am an introvert. I, since this pandemic has started, I went from working in schools seeing multiple people a day, hun- probably hundreds of people a week to um, quit that job, work from home, do one-on-one coaching, do these one-on-one interviews on podcasts. And I have a tremendous amount more energy for myself and for my family than I've had in a really long time. So um, I do like people, I like connecting to people, but in, in my, on my terms. <laughs> you know? Yes. I love these kinds of conversations. I love listening to people, talking to people one-on-one, you know, not these kind of surface level conversations, but deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, And that fills me up. Those are the kind of interactions I really enjoy. So I I can relate to what you're saying for sure. I feel like my life has improved in some ways um, because of this pandemic. It's it's kind of set the stage for something new to, to show up. Before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit more about how people can contact you or anything that you have going on that they might be able to connect with. Oh, okay. Um, I have a website where you can see some of my prison work too. It's a website. It's debbiejacob.com. Okay. You can see some of the work that I've done there, like uh, prison library in Port of Spain prison where inmates can read to their children and things like that. Um, My work is in Newsday. I have written a number of books that have been published in England and um, through Ian Randall Publishers, which is the biggest publisher in the the region there in Jamaica. They're available on amazon.com. Books like Wishing for Wings and Making Waves, How the West Indies Shaped the United States, children's novels that I've written. So those are the main places, I think. You can get my work at Amazon or you can also send me an email through debbiejunejacob at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. I hope you have a great day. Well, I thank you for making me feel so comfortable because it wasn't painful. Good. Well, you know, I, it's funny because it's like I knew if we just kind of got you talking, um, yeah. you have so much passion behind what you do. I, I know that you wouldn't have any trouble telling mm-hmm. telling your story. <laughs> so, all right. Well, take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wait. Very good. <laughs> you just listened to Debbie Jacob, an author, an activist for restorative justice, and a resident of Trinidad. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really, it was amazing how many things as I was listening back to it, how many things we had in common, how much I just loved hearing your passion for your work and also your perspective on what it's like to be an introvert who not only forces themselves to show up and speak up, but who, who does it in a way that is powerfully 
powerfully authentic to them. And that and that's the work that you're doing. It's very, very inspiring to me. Finally, I just want to say to everyone who's listening right now, if you can take anything out of this story from Debbie Jacob is just that how important it is for introverts when they are able to to speak up and show up, you know, on their own terms. And when you do this work, see if not only you can do it with this sense of of, of willingness to feel right, you're, you're willing to feel. Um, not through any sort of obligation, but more so that you have something that you deeply want to share with the world. Tap into that mission that you have that really sparks that level of energy that's going to allow you to show up and do that work. And when you open your heart up enough to let in that discomfort, you also allow all of the things to pour in, such as those deep passions that you have and uh, something that you have that you are called to say. And whatever that is for you, when you show up in that moment, think back to Debbie's words and how this moment of you speaking up might be a community experience and how in that moment your audience is ready to hear you in a magnanimous gesture of inclusion. Because the love we give one another is part of an interconnected community of other heart-centered folks as you wish peace upon them, assalamu alaikum, they are greeting you with the same, waha alaikum salam, and unto you, peace. If you are interested in reaching out and telling your story, contact me on Instagram at actinspiredbehavior or at my website, actinspiredbehavior.com. And if you're interested in learning more about receiving support in your journey or transformation, check out my service, Coaching for Vibrant Introverts, which specializes in serving those who self-identify as introverts and who may experience anxiety and social anxiety. And if you want the type of service that can help you show up and speak up on your own terms, be authentically present, and take vital action in your life, I would love to hear from you. If this episode resonated with you, subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned for each new episode. And perhaps you know someone who could relate to myself or to Debbie or who might benefit from this story because of what is going on in their life. If so, text them the link or share it with them on social media. Thank you so much. Hello again. I want to take a moment and say that this podcast is for educational purposes only. Content and conversation provided in this podcast should not be taken as or replace professional or therapeutic recommendations. As a board-certified behavior analyst, my goal is to disseminate acceptance and commitment therapy and behavior analysis to the wider public and have meaningful conversations to further explore our understanding. If you are concerned about your own personal well-being, I encourage you to seek out the help of a licensed professional who can provide individual support to you. Thank you so much.